everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. Uh, you can go to the website, which is nowheretorunradio.com, which will redirect you to conspiracyclothes.com slash nowhere to run. And uh, if anybody's ever wondered why uh, it's conspiracyclothes.com, and I actually got an email today asking me if I was selling T-shirts, which I haven't got one of those in a long time. And just so you know the story of that, the reason it redirects to conspiracyclothes.com slash nowhere to run and is because the first thing that I did online was I started a t-shirt company called conspiracyclothes.com where I sold conspiracy-themed t-shirts. I actually got one on right now. It's kind of an extreme coincidence that I have one of these on. It's just I didn't have anything else clean. It's, uh, it's one about uh, 9-11. It says 11 questions on the front, and it has like 11 uh, questions about 9-11. Uh, and... I did a lot of research for that. I, I actually, it was really interesting. It was the first time I actually realized that um, I had to be accountable for the things that I was researching on the internet. And I found a lot of stuff that I believed about 9-11 wasn't true, and a lot of it was. I was looking for primary sources for things just to make sure, and I, on the website I actually linked to the places where uh, the things that I claimed could be proven. So it was interesting. I did a shirt also for fluoride and for, um, the bill of rights. It was those, it was those shirts that actually really solidified my views about those, those original conspiracy sort of things. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. And then I actually started doing a radio show on the Revere Radio Network. It was actually in an attempt to uh, promote the selling of conspiracy clothes. Uh, I had a, I gave uh, Rob Revere over there all the shirts that I made in his size, and in exchange, he put a banner on his website, and that's all it was for a while. And then, you know, after a while of listening to all the shows there, I was like, I think I could do that. So I emailed him and said, Hey, you know, um, you know, I, th- I think I'd like to try to do a radio show. And he was like, Okay. And he gave me the uh, software that I still use today. Uh, total recorder, um, for better or for worse, it's just what I use, and um, that's kind of how it started. And it, the same process sort of happened. I had to realize that the stuff that I was talking about in the conspiracy world, I had to, I had to all of a sudden be pretty accountable for the things that I was saying. Um, I realized that I had to double check my facts, and a lot of the first shows were me. You know, I would have a corrections at the beginning of every show where I realized the things that I had said were wrong. And it was really fast way to sort of get a lot of the stuff that I um, didn't, uh, that wasn't true, kind of get it out of the way in a really fast sort of way because I wanted to be accountable and not, not be misleading people. And I sort of had a version of Christianity then. I mean, I would, I would have said I was Christian in mind at that point, but not... Not in any other, really. I don't really feel like there was a lot of, uh, there wasn't any change. There was no real repentance in my life and things like that. I was uh, just, I would give people a very strong apologetic argument for Christianity. And um, that was right after I sort of realized that everything that I used to believe before that about the New Age sort of stuff uh, was wrong. I realized that the David Icke version of, you know, which was basically the zeitgeist version of, uh, of, of Jesus was totally wrong. So I had, I had realized that the conspiracy world had this anti-Christian bent to it 
but I didn't really understand it that much. And that progressed very slowly. I mean, I believe looking back on it, it was watching the Lord work in my life and introducing me slowly uh, to things that were progressing me along. It started off, I remember um, the Patrick Heron interview was a very interesting interview for me. Um, I remember finding Chuck Missler's view of the Nephilim, and that really led me to looking more into that, which led me into finding things like uh, PID's radio, uh, PID Radio's interview with Joe Jordan, which then got me interested in, like, oh my gosh, the, the power and authority of the name of Jesus is really important in all this. And that eventually led me to Russ Dizdar, which then opened an entirely... Uh, I felt like my my journey as a as a trying to figure out how the world was working was slowly coming to an end um, after I found Russ Dizdar, and then you know I spent a long time. Um, I mean, I've listened to just about all the courses that Russ has, and you know, in the process, have started to really develop a love for um, the Bible. I think that's kind of the progression that that it's leading me to now. I feel like. I don't really, I don't really feel like uh, I'm done in a lot of ways of of learning about things and how the world works. I don't have that desire anymore because I basically, I mean, I don't want to sound you know too cocky or anything, but I, I mean, I understand how it works and it's not that fascinating. You know, all the mysteries of, of of Satan and how, like, just think of like the the hermetic sort of drawings and things like that. It, it's not that fascinating. It just kind of looks fascinating. It's kind of seductive, really. Even the most the most wonderful trickery that Satan can pull, um, you could discuss, like, think of it from an occult perspective. You're trying to find the right books to explain it and all these things. It's, it's not even, it's not even the right version of it. I mean, they're getting, like, through a glass darkly how it even works. Um, I think that it, it, it really, at the end of the day, it's not that fascinating. And, I do think something is fascinating. This is kind of where the new the new metaphor, metamorphosis has started happening with uh, the Bible uh, itself, realizing how incredibly deep this is. Uh, the I feel like I'm at the beginning of a very long road now of the Bible being immense, inexhaustible. Once you start to see how it is how vast it is you realize that it it would take several i mean doesn't matter how many lifetimes you could never get all of that that it's that's there so and i've said that before and um so i've really thought about that and actually we just started i speak of um me and my roommate mike tater otherwise known as tom bionic he and I just started a new podcast called Verse by Verse uh, Bible Teaching Podcast at versebyversebibleteaching.com. And I'm about to play the first episode of that, and it's uh, now on the Revelations Radio Network feed, so I apologize if you've already heard it there. Uh, but I'll tell you, it is something that I really feel that this is kind of where I want to to go with my with my research now. I want to, I don't feel, I feel like if I, you know, I've listened to verse-by-verse verse Bible teachers, and I've listened to a lot of them. I've almost listened to everything, you know, available on some on some of the verse-by-verse verse Bible teachers out there. And I really, I really feel like now I think that I could add something to that just on um, my commentary, and also taking into the com- into account all the commentaries of the other people that I like to read. And I think that you'll see in this first uh, this first episode, it was a really fruitful thing. So. 
I hope to be doing a lot more of this, and I think we're going to do it on an extremely regular basis, which is a great thing. The reason that uh, we're doing it together is that it'll keep me very uh, consistent in putting out content, unlike Nowhere to Run and, and a few other podcasts. But like the Frank and Chris show, that's like clockwork every week. And so that will also be with um, Verse by Verse with Mike and Chris. So, or Verse by Verse um, Bible Teaching Podcast. See, I don't really know what to call it, but uh, you can go to the website. It's kind of both both things. I like to name things as far as a marketing perspective to be exactly what they are um, because it just really helps in search results. And that also helps if you're starting a business. Like if you're starting a business and you want it to be Nashville, you know, it's a Nashville window cleaning business, you would love to be able to get NashvilleWindowCleaning.com. And uh, so I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, so... I'm going to play this, and speaking of Nashville, speaking of Nashville, the people that are in Nashville, I'm um, doing some marketing for a, a website. It's a it's a forum. It's called NashvilleChristian.com, and I am trying to get posters over there, and it is grueling, and I'm feeling like such a failure from a marketer to get people to post at NashvilleChristian.com. Uh, I've been posting there a lot, and I don't really have time to post any forums there, but they're actually essentially paying me to get people at this forum, so I'm posting there a lot. So if you discuss things, especially, hey, especially if you're a Nashville Christian, and that would be preferable. In fact, if you are Nashville Christians, that's, or anywhere, Tennessee Christians, anything like that, Kentucky, Alabama, whatever, if you would love to post at NashvilleChristian.com, I would be very, very happy that you would do that. Um, so go to NashvilleChristian.com, sign up there, and start posting, and it would be awesome. I'd love to talk to you about anything. If you have any questions about stuff, let's discuss it in the forum. I could just come up with an answer if I didn't know it, just so we could be discussing in the forum. That would be excellent. Um, okay, so let's play the audio from this. Uh, and I think to sum up what I was trying to say in that first part is that I think that that's where all of our journeys should probably end up at some point. You know, um, I was telling a guy, this is a really interesting story and I'll, I'll tell you this before we get started. The, the other night at work, um, I was about to close, I was closing down, you know, it was like two minutes before close and this guy comes up and, um, well, I'll just tell you, I work at a, I work at a language learning software company. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, what, what languages have I learned? I was like, well, I learned Spanish and I just started to learn Hebrew. And he was like, oh, it's like, are you learning Hebrew to study the Bible? And I was like, yeah. He's like, let me ask you a question. I was like, okay. And then he proceeds to ask me every question in the book. I mean, he was genuinely seeking. Here's a guy that was uh, very much had the, who had the era or, uh, they had the ear of him. Wait. Anyway, he was listening to like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, and he was very much had all this anti-God stuff on his mind. And I mean, this guy wanted to know everything about zeitgeist. He wanted to know everything about the existence of Jesus. He wanted to know, you know, the historicity of the Bible. He wanted to know, I mean, all these very specific things. This guy was led to, you know, uh, 
me who have done research on all those things and like they just ended up sinking into my mind despite my best efforts. I mean, I remember thinking at one time, man, I wish I could be the kind of person that would just know all the places or a lot of the places where it says that Jesus existed. I saw a YouTube clip one time where somebody was like rattling it off. I was like, wow, that would be awesome if I could do that. And all that had to happen was I made a video one time about the existence of Jesus and it just stuck. I don't know why. I can't even get it out of my head anymore. It's just for whatever reason, recording the audio track, putting the putting the the pictures to the Windows Movie Maker thing, it just it just stuck in my head. So here it is. And that kind of similar process has happened over and over. So I sat there with thirty minutes of this guy just just sweeping away all the, the stuff that he thought he had to to uh you know discount God. And I don't think that this guy really wanted to discount God. He just he just had to based on, you know, all the stuff that he thought that he knew. And it was interesting to tell him at the end. It was like, you know, uh you know, this isn't an accident. I mean, if this is an accident that, that you came up here and just out of nowhere asked me, you know, w- w- let me ask you a question. Uh, then I think that I told him at the end, it's like, just keep looking for the truth. Um, know that at the end of your search for the truth is Jesus Christ. That's truth with a capital T. You will run into Jesus at the end of this search if you are diligent in your search. And if you're not having preconceived notion, the world thinks that preconceived notion is Jesus, but they never stop to recognize that everything in your path is telling you don't go to Jesus from cradle to grave, from the the school system on is uh, trying to lead you away from him. But, and so it's very easy to, to choose the Christopher Hitchenses and the things of, of this world because they are essentially what we want. If you really analyze it, that's something that's seductive because I would prefer that Christopher Hitchens would be right. You know, well, I wouldn't, but now, I mean, with being, being saved and given the spirit of, uh, of Christ, I understand what, what, what's going on. And I certainly wouldn't trade it for, you know, all the sin in the world, but it's an interesting, uh, thing, the, w- the way w- we think as unsaved individuals. And so I would just say that, uh, that this is where I hope everybody would be at some point. Once you kind of get it all out of your system, I won't say you shouldn't go look up conspiracies and go figure out what's going, what the, what's happening with the world because you should. I don't know. I don't think that I could have just put it all down, not knowing what was really going on, you know, and things like that. I don't think I could have just stopped. I mean, I think I just, I just got to a, a stopping point where I felt like it was all done. And I think that if you get to that stopping point, then it's okay to just start. If you know, if you've proven to yourself that the Bible is the word of God and and you know that, and you know that it's there for something very, a good, very good reason, then the next logical step is, well, I should learn this. What's in this thing? You know, I mean, if everybody has been trying to keep this from me, then this is the most anti-establishment thing in the world. Uh, so what is in this thing? And then you start to get into it and you realize, my gosh, this thing is so uh, rich. I couldn't, I couldn't do this. If I, if I tried, there wouldn't be enough time to figure this out. Uh, and I just can tell you from doing this first study, as we're going to do here, I'm playing just a minute, the first 10 verses of the book of Galatians, I was absolutely astounded at uh, how much of my you know, research ability uh, was required just to do 10 verses in the Bible. I mean, this is putting 
you know, my whatever talents to the test, really. Uh, it, it's like everything else is, is easy compared to trying to apply the same amount of research to the Bible. And that being said, I didn't really, a lot of the things that I'm going to say, they're, they're stripped whole cloth from other commentaries of people who have done even uh, more research. But then, you know, there's lots of things that were, were mine uh, originally. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, that's how, that's how it goes with, with commentaries and, and stuff like that. So I'm also publishing, uh, with Mike, we're pu- publishing our notes. We're still getting all that together. So, um, that'll be published along with this. The website's still in its infancy stages. So there's not a lot going on over there except, uh, the podcast itself. And you can kind of get in there and comment over there. But, uh, if you're going to do any commenting, you should probably do that at nashvillechristian.com. That's nashvillechristian.com. Okay. Here is the, uh, here is the verse by verse. Bible study, no, it's verse by verse, verse by verse, Bible teaching.com with Mike and Chris. Here you go. Or verse by verse, Bible teaching podcast with Mike and Chris. Here you go. Bye. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all. Hello and welcome to VerseByVerseBibleTeaching.com. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, and I am Mike. Uh, welcome everybody. We're happy to have you here. Today we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. Uh, it's a very good, very good book. One of Paul's most strident books about what the true gospel means. Uh, and just, just I guess by way, before we get into the text, by way of introduction, um, Let's look at a sort of a basic outline of the book of Galatians. Uh, the book of Galatians basically is, is cut up into four parts. You've got the introduction and salutation, uh, where they give, you know, he gives greetings and everything. And you actually see a little bit where he talks about sort of an astonishment at the lapse of the gospel there. Uh, and then you see, uh, in the next part, Paul defending the authority of his gospel there, uh, in verses, uh, chapter one, uh, from chapter one to chapter, middle of chapter two. Uh, uh, verse 21 in chapter 2. Uh, and then, uh, you see Paul defending the message of the gospel, uh, and holding the doctrinal truth of grace, which is, uh, I think really cool. It's one of the things that's so- talked about so little by, by mainstream pastors and is so, so important. Uh, that happens from about 3 1 to 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 31. And then we see Paul defending the freedom of his gospel, uh, the gospel of grace, uh, uh, verse f- uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 1, to all the way up to chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, and then, um, done. Then conclusion from 6, uh, chapter 6, 11, uh, chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. Uh, now, really, the central issue for the Galatian churches appears to be the same one uh, that was debated at the council in Jerusalem uh, in Acts. Uh, namely, is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and, the gra- and grace really enough? And, and, and two, to what extent, if any, does keeping the, the law play in salvation? Now, as we're going to see in chapter 1 and really more in chapter 2, uh, there were Jewish teachers who really wanted to bring the Galatian believers under the law and were teaching and speaking thusly. 
in several parts of the book, as we will see, it appears that Paul is being attacked personally by his opponents to undermine his, uh, uh, his probably considerable influence in the churches of that region. It's likely that Paul's detractors charged that he was not among the original disciples and therefore lacked authority that his message had somehow departed from the gospel message preached at Jerusalem uh, and was thus, you know, anathema, uh, an interloper, uh, and his message of grace was somehow insufficient and would result in sinful, lawless behavior and a life unpleasing to God. So that's kind of the that's kind of the overview uh, that I have for that. Uh, Chris, do you want to add anything? Uh, sure. Um, this is kind of as you mentioned, it's really about grace. The whole if there's a central theme about the whole book, it seems to be grace. In fact, some people view this as a short version of the Book of Romans, almost kind of like a tract because it's a it's it's so short. Paul, um, he says later on that he actually either, well, some scholars disagree whether he just signed it or whether he um, actually wrote the letter with his own hand, which would not be um, typical of what he normally did. He would normally use a professional scribe, sometimes called an amanuensis. Yeah. And then um, they say, I read somewhere, that, that that would cost in today's money about the size that Galatians was, it would still cost about $700 to produce. So it was a pretty expensive thing to do back then, and that's why there wasn't as many, probably, letters like this, and that why they were encouraged to circulate them sometimes at the end of uh, the different uh, letters. Uh, Galatia is in modern-day Turkey, somewhere thereabouts. There's some kind of confusion about exactly which churches, because Galatia was, was really a region more than a particular church or a particular city. So it, it appears, then we'll find out as we get into the text, that there appears to be multiple places that this is directed to in that region. Um, the conflict, uh, as you mentioned, uh, is sort of about uh, grace and and the law. But more specifically, it's uh, a conflict between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Uh, sometimes the, there was a word named called the Judaizers, and mm-hmm. basically that's a word uh, coming from a word which means to be or live like a Jew. And it essentially that means um, that they, a person, a Gentile, would live uh, like according to the Jewish customs and ceremonial laws and things like that. In the Old Testament times, there was... Uh, something called known as uh, pros- proselytes. Is that how I'm saying that right? Yeah, proselytes. proselytes. They were Gentiles that would voluntarily come under Jewish law, uh, and then apparently God had this whole program for what they would do if a Gentile wanted to do this. And it's very interesting um, in the Old Testament that God views those uh, Gentiles that went through that process as very much um, grafted into the situation uh, as being, you know, as as far as he is concerned, a, a Jew. Uh, so that's pretty interesting, I, I thought. And in fact, there's some pretty famous proselytes in proselytes in the Bible, no, uh, namely Ruth and Rahab. Mm-hmm. Also, the court of the Gentiles, which was in the in the temple, it was an outer court that was not just for any Gentiles, but they were for these Gentiles that voluntarily uh, put themselves under the law. So, in a sense, this was the heresy of the Galatian church that. Um, because most of the early Christians, including all the Christians that were at Pentecost, so 100% of the, the earliest Christians were all Jews, and they grew up with you know Jewish customs and things like that. So there was a little bit of confusion when the Gentiles were also clearly given the same uh, the same spirit, the same gifts as them. There was a, a time of wondering: Does that mean if they're going to accept the Jewish Messiah? Does that mean that they also, like us, have to be Jews? Did we, 
did they get this because, you know, do they now have to be circumcised and all these things? But as we will see, mm-hmm. Paul is quick to point out that this idea contradicts the very gospel of Christ itself. So in doing that, Paul really lays uh, forth a just mana, manifesto of grace. Some people call this the mana, car, uh, mana carta of spiritual freedom. Uh, Magna, Magna Carta. Carta. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't know why. I guess it's manifesto of Magna Carta got me all. But anyway, the yeah. central theme is salvation by grace alone. And grace, just a thumbnail definition there, is not getting what you deserve, essentially. I mean, it's a little more complicated, but mm-hmm. the then that's contrasted with mercy, which is getting, uh, is not getting what you do deserve. Did I say that right? Kana, uh, I liken it like this, uh, brother, brother Tom, whom, uh, yeah, I'm, you've, you've met and know, uh, a very good friend of mine. He puts it like this when he, when he gives messages, he says that, uh, well, he had, it's, it's kind of a, a drawn out thing, but he was driving without a motorcycle without a helmet one time and he got pulled over by a policeman uh, and the policeman said, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm riding. And the policeman said, how come you don't have a helmet? He said, uh, because I don't own one. And then he looked at his license and it said, you don't have a license to ride a motorcycle. And he said, well, I don't, yeah. And he said, uh, now, now the cop should have given him a ticket, but he didn't. Right? So that's, that's grace. That's kind of grace. Now the story goes on that the cop said, okay, you can either leave it here or you can walk the bike, but you can't ride it. So he, he's only a half mile from the station where he needs to have it tuned up. So he decides he's going to walk at a half mile. And he gets to this, he gets to this hill that he just can't possibly climb. He just, he's like, I just can't do it with this bike. And just as he's like, like psyched himself up to think that he can do it, uh, over the hill comes this big truck, flatbed truck and pulls over in front of him. And, uh, it gets out and it's the policeman uh, in plain clothes and is you know saying here put the bicycle put the bike on the put a, put the motorbike on the car and I'll take you to the rest of the way uh, and that's that's sort of like mercy hmm. uh, well uh right well okay mercy is, that that makes sense that makes sense but we definitely don't want um to get what we deserve that's the main thing no um, no, that's the point. And it's actually interesting because grace is this whole concept of, of God's salvation is is like the antithesis of what man would want salvation to be like. All the religions of the war, of the world are trying to reconcile themselves to God through their various works, mm-hmm. or you know, even those that are very spiritual, they they you know, view themselves as getting more spiritual, doing it themselves, all the work that they're doing. And Christianity mm-hmm. is unique in that it is essentially the opposite stance. There's nothing uh, that we can do to earn it, which actually is kind of offensive um, to, to, to not be able to add anything to it. And I think that's why we'll see as we get into this letter that there might be such an opposition to it, some really enigmatic passages that we're going to be looking at. Um, Martin Luther uh, called the book of Galatians his wife. He had a name for it, which is his wife's name, uh-huh. and he was obviously, wow. uh, it was a very important book uh, to his salvation. The particular verse, the just shall live by faith, was mm-hmm. something that uh, very stuck with him. As a Catholic, um, he was, and his story is very interesting. He's very, uh, was very conscious of his own sin and his, and his inability to, um, to, you know, get away from it. And so the, the book of, uh, Galatians made an extremely big impact on him. And 
through him also with the entire um, Reformation. In fact, there was one quote that mm-hmm. I read, something to the effect of, the, the book of Galatians was a pebble from the br- brook in which the Reformers slew the giant of, of the, you know, Catholicism or something <laughs> like that. Wow. But um, anyway, uh, let's see here. Galatia was a region where um, where Paul, he basically planted these churches and then he came back, uh, he came back home to his, you know, home, home place. And, uh, he found out later on that they had gone astray and they started believing another gospel. And he actually visits these churches again, which is summarized in Acts 16 and 18. Um, so we can probably get into it here. Um, do you want right. to go ahead and get started? Yes. Uh, verse one, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, uh, and, and, I, and I will, I'll take the liberty to go on here to verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me. Uh, now, in these two verses, we see Paul bringing forth and really foreshadowing a few things. Uh, number one, he mentions that his uh, apostolic calling was from God and not from men. And this ep- ends up being an important point later in this epistle and in other letters. Uh, he expounds on his calling being, in fact, a divine calling, and not one of man's doing, and uh, as we see in verse 12 and onwards, where he talks about it. He talks about this really kind of in all all the letters. You see it in First Corinthians and I think Second Corinthians, uh, and and other places. But it's really it's really obvious here. Uh, number two, he also says right up front, Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul in this letter makes a strident attack on those, as we've said, who deviate from the gospel of grace. Uh, and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That's really what the whole letter is about. So right from the outset, you know, he's sort of setting the tone here. Uh, another interesting thing that the word brothers here in verse 2 uh, is also translated, brothers can also be translated brothers and sisters. The plural Greek word uh, adelphoi, translated brothers, refers to siblings in a family, actually, uh, which is really what we are when we are brothers and sisters in Christ. God views us... Uh, uh, as being more close than blood. Um, in New Testament usage, depending on context, Adelphoi may refer to either men or both men and, men and women who are sibling uh, in God's family, uh, also like the church. And we also see this word again in verse in verse 11 uh, of, of the book of Galatians. Chris, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, he says right up front, Paul the Apostle. Interesting uh, that Paul is... Um, the way they would write letters is they would sign their names sort of at the beginning of a letter. Um, and he, this is actually not questioned by hardly any scholars, even very, even very liberal scholars, that Paul was, in fact, mm-hmm. the, the author of this letter. Um, Acts 26, 15 through 18, um, he mentions, well, hold on a second. Uh, basically, I guess I'm making with this point that uh, he's, He's saying that he's an apostle, but not of men, uh, neither by man. And actually, this word apostle means a special ambassador. Sometimes it can mean sent one. And the question mm-hmm. arises, are there apostles today? And in one sense, there there is in that there are sent ones and special ambassadors, but there is no apostles with a capital A, as you can say. And there's, a, there's sometimes people that travel around sort of calling themselves that. So it's good to be aware that that's not, um, not a very biblical title uh, to call yourself, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting when he says not of men and neither by men, but by Jesus Christ, you pointed out that he was asserting that his apostleship was, uh, not by election. I mean, it came directly from God and he seems to be 
uh, this seems to be in some way asserting that his uh, or saying that his apostleship was being questioned by somebody. And I think that's interesting because this particular heresy that he's talking about, the, the Judaizers, the people that were wanting to be under the law, even today, they will do the same thing. Uh, they, those that desire to be under this law uh, sometimes question Paul's apostleship. And because Paul's letters, which make up nearly half of the New Testament, really won't allow them to hold that view. So even today we see different things about this very thing, people questioning Paul's apostleship because of uh, of his gospel, really. So um, I think that's all I had for, for this one, yeah, so... Okay. Uh, I, I will add one thing. I actually stopped in the middle of verse 2 uh, because I had something to add to the last half. To the churches of Galatia, he writes. Uh, now, one of the interesting things about this is that you hit on earlier in the introduction uh, is that this sort of remark about the churches of Galatia. As you mentioned, uh, Galatia was sort of an area. And there, if you look at the different commentaries, uh, what you see is that there are com- Bible commentators who believe that this letter was addressed to the Gauls in northern Galatia. Uh, but really, uh, it's probably far more likely addressed to the believers who were, uh, who were in the cities of the southern province of Galatia, such as Antioch, Lystra, and Derbe. Uh, and we know this because Paul and Barnabas visited all these places during their first missionary journey, and, uh, as expounded on in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, so, uh, let's see, verse 3. Uh, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, grace and peace uh, is a common greeting that Paul employs in his various writings as part of the salutations of other churches, uh, to other churches uh, as well. Uh, he uses this exact fr- same phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, uh, and as well as Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, so this is another one of those things that is like very characteristically Paul, Pauline, you might say. Uh, Chris, anything to add? Only that, that uh, he always uh, uses grace and peace in that order, which um, whether yeah. he meant it to or not is, is true also theologically, that you uh, mm-hmm. always have the grace uh, of the Lord before you, you have peace. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting comment. Um, verse 4 who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and uh, and Father. Now, the above phrase is really an interesting one. If you go and sort of break it down, it connects the death of Christ with the forgiveness uh, of sin and the deliverance from this evil age. This is very similar to the gospel, to the first gospel message preached, preached on the day of Pentecost uh, in Acts, in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 40 where Peter stands up and he says, save yourself from this untoward generation. Uh, now, implicit in this is Paul's mention uh, that we are actually taken out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred literally, like picked up from the kingdom of darkness and set into the kingdom of God uh, in other places such as in Colossians. Um, now, one of, the, uh, one of the other things is that uh, if you look at a lot of the various biblical inscriptions, uh, early early biblical inscriptions, what we see is that uh, this was actually the idea of um, of being delivered from this present evil world or present darkness. Uh, this was actually uh, was probably an early confession of faith that was well known throughout the New Testament churches, uh, which I thought was really 
was really cool. It would deliver us from this present evil age. They really had a clear understanding of the ideas of sort of getting out of Babylon, if you will. Hmm. Chris? Yeah, um, uh, I got a lot on this particular one. The the It's actually this whole verse, verse, verse 4, in one sentence, Paul explains a very deep theological idea of God's grace uh, towards man. He explains this, uh, the method of God's grace, uh, grace's purpose, the source of God's grace, and lastly, the reason for God's grace. Uh, they're all explained uh, in verse 4. Uh, uh, first, who gave himself for our sins, which is the method of God's grace. Uh, nothing but a perfect atonement. This is kind of, I think this is an important part for what the Galatians sh- should have known too. And I think it's also important for a lot of uh, modern day similar things. But that nothing but a perfect atonement or full payment will do. And in order for God's spirit to dwell in man, as it did in the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, he must see us as 100% you know, righteous under his law. And the very fact that Christ lives in us at the moment of salvation is is evidence of the fact that God views us with the righteousness of Christ and not our own righteousness. Um, mm. Because we gave, we gave Christ our sins and that he gives us his righteousness. Mm. Uh, so the other part of that is for our sins, he who gave himself for our sins. In the Greek, it's suggestive of a sacrifice or an atonement. Uh, this is, I'm going to read now from a quote from Spurgeon about this. It's a, it's a little lengthy. It says, he gave himself for our sins. That is the wonder of Christ's death. Our sins could not be put away except by his dying in our stead. There was no expiation of our sin and consequently no deliverance from its condemnation except by Christ's burying it in our room and place. Instead, the wrath of God, which was due to us, and he did do it. He gave himself for our sins. I need not say more upon this point except just this. Do not, I pray you, let us permit him in any sense or measure to fail on his supreme object. He gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present world. Therefore, out of gratitude to him, if for no other reason, let us not be of this world. And like the the world, servants of the world, slaves of the world... What are oh, he's saying? Uh, don't be like the world's servants of the world. What did Christ die to deliver us from the world? And do we go back to it and deliberately put our necks under the world's yoke and wear the world's yoke and become again the world's slaves? I am ashamed of myself and you whenever we for a moment act as the ungodly world acts and become as the world is self-seeking, rebellious against God's will, living contrary to the divine law of Christ. Oh, let every drop of blood he shed on Calvary purge you from all resemblance to the world. Let the dying Savior's cries move you to hate the sin which the world loves mm. from Calvary. Hear him cry, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. By the blood which with which he bought you, be ye not of the world, seeing that he, he hath redeemed you from among men, that you might be altogether his own. So, um... Wow. Yeah, it's Spurgeon for you. Uh, get Spurgeon's at, never at a loss of words <laughs> there. Certainly isn't. Uh, I got yeah. two more short quotes, uh, one from uh, John Calvin. These words who 
these words, who gave himself for our sins, are very important. He wanted to tell the Galatians straight out that atonement for sins and perfect righteousness are not to be sought anywhere but in Christ. So glorious is this redemption that it should ravish us with wonder. And then uh, finally in the quotes, Martin Luther, how many... How may we obtain remission of sins? Paul answers, The man who is named Jesus Christ and the Son of God gave himself for our sins. The heavy artillery of these words ex- explodes papacy, works, merits, superstitions. For if our sins could be removed by our own efforts, what need was there for the Son of God to be given for them? Since Christ was given for our sins, it stands to reason that they cannot be put away by our own efforts. The word gave there is interesting because in John 3.16, it was God who gave Jesus. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, but interestingly, in this verse, it says um, it says that who gave himself. He's speaking of Christ there, that Christ gave himself. So mm-hmm. it's, again, another point as there are so many places in the Bible that um, that that speak of different things, uh, different people doing certain things, different members of the Trinity, for instance, um, Jesus Christ uh, raising from the dead. There are times when each member of the Trinity is attributed with that miracle. Jesus himself, God the Father, and the Spirit are, are all attributed. And there's many things like that, which, again, I, th- I think speaks of of the uh, the Trinity. Um, cool. A few other things here. Uh, he was uh, made sin for us in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. He was made a curse for us in Galatians 3.13, which we'll get to later. And he was made an offering for sin in Isaiah 53.10 that he might deliver us from this present world. Now, this is the purpose of God's grace. And again, I, I, I had to go to Spurgeon for this one really quickly. I'm trying, I'm not going to be just quoting Spurgeon all the time, but, <laughs> but he did, uh, has some, a really good point about this. The different parts of the evil, present evil world, uh, into sections. He kind of broke it down from the common condemnation of this present evil world. That is to say that the world is going to be judged. And he, and Spurgeon paints this picture of, you know, Christ calling people out of that with all, you know, all his, you know, effort. So he's delivering us from the, the common condemnation of the present evil world to deliver us from the condition in which the world is found to deliver us from the world's customs to deliver us from the spirit of the world. Here he defines the spirit of the world as uh, like I can swim. So if everybody else, so everybody else be drowned, there will be uh, more room for me. Uh, and also delivering us from the fear of the world. He says, I pray you and may the Lord daily divide you more and more from the world so that at home or abroad, everybody can see that you are not of the world. Love men, seek their good, and in the highest and best sense, be far more loving to the world than the world is to itself. But still, fear it. Uh, but still fear it not. Why should you? It is the present evil world which lieth in the wicked one. It is for you, it is for you bravely to bear your protest against the world every day you live. For to this end did he come to this earth, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And, According to the will of God and our Father. This is again in part of verse 4, which is the source of God's grace. That is, um, uh, the, the, the will of our God or Father. And the, also to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the reason for God's grace, uh, for men. Actually, there's a really interesting verse in Ephesians 2, verse 7, which actually has one of the great verses for this, for this chapter, which is for, by grace are you uh, saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But the verse right before that uh, explains essentially why this grace is given. It says, 
well, let me start a verse before it says, uh, uh, and hath raised uh, us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness uh, towards us through, through Christ Jesus. Excuse me. So um, it's essentially, that is the reason for, his, for God's grace is to, uh, to him be the glory, essentially. And uh, I think that this is an interesting part uh, in 1 Timothy 1.9. This is, I'll conclude with this section on this one, um, where it's essentially grace excludes all human effort, where it says, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has given us, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. All right, next verse. Cool. Uh, verse five. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Verses such as this tend to really be interesting to me. I, I like uh, I like this stuff because there's there's like a lot of meat there that nobody looks at uh, as far as practical application goes. Um, and one of the things. To whom be the glory? Well, who is the glory going to? It's going to God. Um, uh, and there is, is actually a point that I think most people uh, give lip service to but don't really dwell on. And that's don't take – give God all the glory. Don't take any glory away from God when things really go well. If things are going well and it appears that God is really moving, you know, let God have his glory. That <laughs> Uh, we as humans, just because of the way we're wired, we tend to see things through the lens of like, yeah, I've got, I got what I knew I could get, you know, uh, as Brother David Guzik once once remarked. Uh, All right, things are going so well, and he mar- remarked this sarcastically, by the way. He didn't really say this. All right, things are going well. I'm extra saved, you know. <laughs> it doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. If you're saying something like that, you're like extra deceived. Uh, but conversely, and this is where I think that a lot of us really miss it, um, who are you know who do Bible studies such as this and, and other things. Um, conversely, let let us not take the blame when things are going poorly or things aren't working out perfectly. Uh, now it's one thing if you haven't prepared or prepared poorly or there's unseen consequences or whatever. But maybe perhaps even God is in that. I don't know. That's part, that's a theological question for another day. Uh, but my point is just that if God is not in something and it just doesn't seem to be working out, uh, then don't necessarily beat yourself up over it. I see so many people who tend to take take on the blame when they're living a good and godly life and doing what they feel God has called them to do and it's just not working out right. Uh, well, most pet, you know, I mean, on one hand, most people tend to fall into the category, category one, i.e. taking God's glory. Uh, there are those that sometimes perhaps, and perhaps more than we know, fall into category two, which is taking the blame for something that God is not in. Uh, Paul knew how to be abased, and he knew how to abound in good times and in bad. Um, you know, and all things I say again, rejoice. Um, and I think that really has to be our attitude. Uh, our attitude to walk in a Christian life, you know, Chris. Uh, yeah, that's I agree. I actually uh, concluded a little bit on that last verse, verse five, on the last point. So you might as well just go ahead to the next one. Okay, uh, verse six. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Uh, now, this is really the heart of the message to the Galatian believers, unfortunately. Uh, false teachers come to Galatia and had begun to spread a works-based doctrine 
coupled with sort of an admonition to reject Paul and what amounted to really personal attack uh, and imagined character flaws. Uh, as its modern equivalents are still around in false doctrines such as Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Swedenborganism, all of the New Age cults, all of the 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 you know the alien uh, alien visitor cults, the spirit cults. Uh, this really strikes at the heart of the inspiration of Scripture. Interestingly enough, um, the gospel is defined consistently in the Bible. It is revealed in the New Testament and hinted at in the Old. Anyone who is trying to add to it or subtract to it is preaching a different gospel, and that is like it in a nutshell. Um, uh, one of our duties as Christians, I believe, is to look at – is to get to know the true gospel and God's teachings so intimately that it fits like a glove, as if as if uh, Paul Washer makes the point that we need to know the Bible so well that as, you know, as a swordsman knows his sword so well that he slashes and, you know, tarries and thrusts with it so often that it is in his hand that it literally feels like part and extension of his hand – so does God's word uh, in what we are doing, uh, and I think that's really, uh, really what the Galatian church was lacking, and the Galatian brothers uh, were lacking uh, when Paul is writing to them, being astonished about them so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ uh, and turning to a different gospel. In verse six, there, Chris. Uh, yeah, I agree with that point too, and I think that um, one of the best ways to um, to learn the Bible is to teach the Bible. Um, you know, it's just to to really try to start a small Bible study in your in your church or you know in a, in a small group or something like that, and that will start to develop that in your in your um, life. I certainly could tell that it has uh, already in the short time that I've been doing it. Um, okay, yeah, on this on this verse, I think an interesting part of that is um, the word another. And I know we'll probably get into that a little bit in the next verse too. But quickly, he says, "I marvel that you are so soon removed from this that you, from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel." Now, the Greek word um, "another" there is the word "heteros." They actually have two different words to say another of a different kind and another of the same kind. And mm-hmm. we'll get into that here in the next verse, where it's a little more appropriate. But um, one uh, commentator, uh, Lightfoot, said this: "This is the sole instance." Where um, where Saint Paul omits uh, to express his thanksgiving in addressing any church, and it's actually I mean he really doesn't say anything <laughs> good about uh, the Galatians. Where in like the Corinthians, he's very uh, cordial to them right before you know he really builds them up before he gets down to the, their many problems that they have. Mm-hmm. But it is it is pretty intense as you get into even I think it's chapter three probably or maybe it's chapter two where he starts off uh you foolish galatians who hath bewitched you you know it's uh it's pretty serious Mm -hmm. he is he's very upset and i think that that is because of the nature of this is not just about hey they're saying i want to be circumcised or anything like that it really is um the core message of the gospel i think that's what what uh paul was uh talking about here so yeah i think that's it on that one yeah, uh, that's uh, that's very interesting that you bring up you bring up some of his other letter letters. You know, uh, Paul never called the Corinthian brothers uh, not Christians. I mean, they sinned pretty hard. It was like, you know, they, there was a sin. There weren't very many sins that they didn't miss, uh, and yet he never called them not Christian brothers. And yet here in Galatians, Paul seems to be very strident in his attack on the. Uh, 
the Judaizers, as you called them earlier. Uh, verse 7, not that there is one, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 7, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Uh, as, as we've been talking about, they, I mean, there's only one gospel, uh, but it's, yet it's so interesting to see uh, that many people confuse just what the gospel is. Uh, as you were sort of alluding to there, and what we've been sort of trying, hammering away here for a while, um, it's grace. Now, you'll see some people say that the gospel is through faith, and some people will say it's through works. And some, the Catholic teaching, uh, Catholic doctrine generally affirms a gospel message grounded uh, in works and faith, is what they'll say. Now, Reformed thinkers such as Luther uh, and others tend to seek salvation through faith. Um, now, myself personally, I would actually say that dichotomy is false. Uh, and if you've been paying attention here, you know, you sort of know why. Uh, we are saved by neither faith nor works. We are saved by grace. Through faith, not by faith or works. Um, yeah, just, to, just to sort of give a quick proof text outside of Galatians, uh, you see Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you are saved through faith, faith uh, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, interestingly, in, in Ephesians, uh, Paul goes on to say that we are saved in such a manner so that no one may boast. Uh, no one may boast. It's not by works so that you may not boast. Many will point to the book of James and say, well, it's faith and works. Uh, but really, if you look closely at what Paul had in mind, uh, there's a real sense of progression on, uh, a progression going on, which he highlights in several places uh, um, with the idea like, first there's grace uh, and repentance, and then as you go through, that grace and repentance brings about works. Uh, so it's not about it's, it's, works doesn't save you, although it's part of a process, uh, of sanctification, uh, you know, ongoing sanctification. Uh, Chris? Yeah, um, now we were talking a little bit about this, another gospel. It seems like Paul sort of s focuses in on this. He says, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel. So he's talking about this gospel. Uh, David Guzik sort of, um, shows what, what he's talking about here by, by this, word heteros, uh, speaking of a different kind, he sort of explains it like this. It is as if Paul writes, they brought you a completely different gospel. They claim it is just an alternative gospel of the same kind, but it isn't at all. It's altogether different. Um, so it kind of gives you a little bit more clarity of what, what's being said there. And we can tell through this verse a few things about this false gospel, and it says it says three things about it, which is, number one, that it's illegitimate, which is comes from the verse, which is not another. Second is that it's not good at all, but trouble, from the verse, who trouble you. And third, it is a distortion of the true gospel from pervert, the gospel of Christ. That word pervert there is actually um, a Greek word, metastrophoto, I think is how you would say it, but I don't know. Right on. Uh, they, <laughs> I think they, you got it. They, and it's a really interesting word. There's only three times that I can find in the New Testament that it's used. And, and one of them... It just really gives this really interesting view of the Greek, in, in my opinion, and what a deep language that was used. Mm. It, it's a perfect sort of distortion. A, a good example is uh, um, it, there's one case where it will turn your uh, laughter into mourning, sort of this twisting, distorting laughter into mourning. It's like, gosh, it's going to give you chill, chills of like this kind of thing. But anyway, um, I want to talk just a little bit about this this particular uh, type of, of heresy. 
And it's easier than you might think to believe a different gospel through this. Um, I've seen many people led astray, never really knowing that they were being preached a different gospel. Uh, yeah. But whenever it has sort of this legalistic bent, whatever form it takes, if it has a legalistic bent in it, you can be sure that behind whatever seductive reasoning it is lies a different gospel. Because fundamentally, it's about did Jesus pay for our sins at the cross or not? Uh, I think this particular type of heresy, um, and and ones like it, uh, are spoken of in Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, which says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. I think that's interesting because I think at the root of this, there's a sort of a spiritual uh, vanity, and it's I am better than you because I do so and so. And really, that's yeah. that's what keeps a lot of this going. And whenever it's the same kind of thing that every time a Jehovah's Witness gets a door slammed in their face, it keeps them going because there's a, there's a little vanity with every door that gets slammed in their face. It's just another little, well, I guess that's another proof that I'm doing the right thing. Uh, but mm. it says, let me finish this, uh, this verse because it's so interesting. But avoid foolish questions, genealogies, and contentions, and strivings about the law, for they, un- they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. So in my short ministry that I, I've dealt with um, all kinds of false doctrines among new new Christians, old Christians. You're, you're sort of a false doctrine expert, <laughs> yeah. if, if I may be so and, bold. Uh, yeah. Well, and in that, in that, I've only had to implement Titus 3 twice uh, among all that, and they were, mm-hmm. they were basically, which consisted of essentially not answering their emails anymore, or in one case, asking them not to attend our, our fellowship anymore, that we were having a, a radio-type fellowship. And both times, mm-hmm. it had to do with an extreme form of legalism, in which they were trying to sell that to others, to believers that were not quite as developed or further along. And both times, I tried twice with lengthy refutations to get them to see their gospel. And, and honestly, I don't think the first time I was consciously aware Really, even the second time that I was, I was doing these two refutations, like okay, that's once, next is twice. But um, what I noticed about it was was something interesting, especially this last time. Um, but both times I, w- I had an extraordinary state of worry and spiritual attack uh, on my own personal self during this time, mm-hmm. and I found mm-hmm. that the admonition of the Bible here in Titus is more for the sanity of the um, the person. Uh, admonish doing doing the refuting right. yeah in, in other words it yeah it's <laughs> like for, it's far for your sake uh that you only you reject them after two admonishments and i found mm-hmm. that um you know that's all you can do for people that that really desire a particular heresy because it, and it's very common for people to really desire it because of that sort of spiritual vanity chuck missler has said something i'll never forget and he says Error or heresy assumes importance that truth never had. And you'll notice that every time when somebody has a particular doctrine or, or whatever, it, it, it becomes the most important thing to them ever. I mean, you would think it is. And, of course, their reasoning sometimes is something to the effect, well, the whole church has got this one point wrong, so I'm just trying to help them all out and you know just talk about this all the time. But really, it's, it, it assumes an importance in their life. Uh, that that the truth, the gospel, never never did. Uh, a few different things about this, and I'll try to wrap this one up. Um, 
is no. That's everything you've said is very interesting. Well, cool. Well, I, I want the next part is sort of uh, could be a little contentious, and I just want to hit it because I think it, it comes up in this particular one a lot, um, which is messianic Judaism and things mm-hmm. like keeping the Sabbath. I think that messianic Judaism is a, a good thing. I, I actually uh, thought for a while, right when I was kind of really just born again and really excited wanting to please the Lord and, and everything. I, I actually, you know, would do certain things. I saw the benefit of keeping some of the dietary laws in certain cases and things like that. And I think that's okay and good, uh, you know, if that's what you want to do and you have a good reason in your heart, but not if you're putting yourself under the law. In that case, it is absolutely not good. Um, things like keeping the Sabbath. Um, now, some say that Sunday worship is bad, um, but that position is really illogical if you think about it. You you can worship any day that you like. So I've heard people say all kinds of things. Well, you know, if you worship on Sunday, you're doing all your mark of the beast and all kinds of stuff. I mean, really, I've heard that. So, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, oh. It's actually, I think, a prominent uh, position of, of people like the uh, Seventh Day Adventists. But um, mm. nevertheless, that that's illogical because um, you can worship any day you like. God's not going to be like you're worshiping me on the wrong day. Uh, but the interesting part about it is that an informed Christian knows that Sunday worship is the memorial of uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's never it's never supposed to. An informed Christian would know that um, it's supposed to. In the four canonical gospels, in fact, in the New Testament, um, it's it's shown that the resurrection took place on the first day of the week, and that's what's being celebrated on what's commonly called the Lord's Day. Uh, the Sabbath was never changed. It remains on Saturday, and the Lord's Day remains on Sunday. The Sabbath, though, is primarily about work, not worship. That's something that a lot of the uh, the people that hold the position are missing. The Sabbath is very, very detailed. It's all about work. And I personally feel that there are blessings if you refrain from work on Saturday. Uh, but those blessings are given to us to bless us, not to harm us. And that's why Jesus said when being accused of not keeping the Sabbath himself by the legalist of his day, that, quote, the Sabbath was made for man and not man uh, for the Sabbath in Mark 2, verse 27. I also feel equally as strong about this, though, that um, not keeping the Sabbath with um, uh, is not going to condemn you uh, because of the liberty that we have in Christ, which is explained in Colossians 2, verse 16, which says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or in a new moon or in the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So that's I hope that's not going to get too too contentious, but I did want to hit it because it's very common. So yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, young believers, and I would say I'm the same way. They really want to get into Jewish traditions and see it all. And 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 like you said, it's a good thing if you if you're doing it just because you know you're trying to love the Lord. But it's another thing to do uh, if it try, if you're thinking it makes you you holy more holy, and and. It seems like without fail, people start out saying one thing and end up going, wow, I was just doing this because I thought it made me more holy. And I th- kept telling myself that I thought it was just cool to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, uh, speaking of, speaking of heresy, verse eight. <laughs> Uh, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, this idea of an angel from heaven preaching a different gospel is interesting in contrast to the maraud of different cults around uh, uh, that all sort of – they all affirm a divine contact. Uh, a lot of them do uh, with some type of spiritual being. You know, For instance, Mormonism was an outgrowth of the alleged contact Joseph Smith had with an angel named 
uh, Moroni, I think, uh, who gave him a divine revelation and some some Egyptian golden tablets with some uh, that he couldn't read, but then gave him some magical spectacles. And, <laughs> um, I'm not sure that how that whole thing how that whole thing works out. Swedenborgianism uh, was a guy. I believe his name was Emanuel Swedenborgen, uh, a Swedish guy. Uh, it similarly was an outgrowth of spiritual revelation from what was described as sort of a quote-unquote heavenly contact from a spiritual being, end quote. Um, and then, of course, John Dee. Who can forget John Dee? Uh, John Dee started a whole subschool of occultism uh, with the Hellfire Club and other places, uh, largely drawn on teaching that he said he received from what he believed to be an angel. Uh, and yet Paul here is clear. Uh, if anyone is preaching a different gospel, uh, even an angel, uh, uh, but for the one that I am preaching, let him be accursed or uh, anathema. Go ahead. Oh, I, I think that is great. I mean, he's even telling them not to believe him if he comes back and starts saying anything else. Mm-hmm. And he validates this gospel. He spends uh, the last part of this chapter and all into the next chapter validating his gospel in a really unique way. Um, but uh, an interesting part of this is is he says, you know, that if they if they do do this, if they preach another gospel to him, let him be a curse. And it's a rather strong thing to say. Um, David Guzik says this about that. He says, Paul's love is for souls that are in danger of hell. If a gospel is false and not and not another good news at all, then it can't save anyone. So he's essentially saying uh, this is very as he goes into later that uh, the reason for his I'll go ahead and read that now what he says about sure. this. Uh, Let him be a curse. Paul seems to have in mind the solemn curses pronounced by God upon those who break his covenant. Uh, in Deuteronomy 27, for Paul, it wasn't enough to say, don't listen to these people. It was more uh, than just not listening to them. Paul soberly thought that they should be cursed. And we'll get into a little bit of that in the, in the next uh, the next verse there, uh, where it discusses this this word accursed a little bit in detail. But the, um, the idea is which gospel, and again, we've talked a lot about the gospel, but really quickly I'll name a few other instances of which gospel we're talking about. It's the same one in Genesis 3.15, uh, when God declared war on the serpent, and he, did, he announced the redemption that would come through the seed of the woman, which was then confirmed in Genesis 13, uh, when he says, Thy seed, speaking to Abraham, which later Paul goes into detail about that, that that's a singular word and not a plural word. Paul makes a big point about that uh, here later in this book of Galatians, and we'll see why later on. Also, the same gospel uh, was the reason that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And it's also the same gospel in Acts 10, where it says, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. All right? Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, verse verse 9 here. Uh, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one you received, let him be accursed. So there's that word again, accursed. Uh, Paul goes, uh, Paul's gospel was one of grace and truth. I mean, we've seen it right here. Like, it's, it's been very in your face and obvious. Uh, it was not one of fancy buildings, work projects, or slick salesmanship. Uh, it was a gospel of grace, one of real truth founded on the literal death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, really, this verse reveals a real sense of agreement. Uh, um, if you compare what Paul has written here, uh, among the other early apostles that we have, uh, and, you know, canonized writing, 
Uh, we say this, we see the same general sense of condemnation from Paul as we do from Peter in Second Second Peter two. Uh, with from uh, John agrees with both of them as well in Second John uh, verses seven through eleven, and even Jude um, agrees with them in verses three and four and twelve through nineteen. Uh, we see some of these. We even see some of this from Jesus uh, in Matthew 23, verse 13. Uh, now, this sense of condemnation for anything but the true gospel uh, was something serious to these people. This gospel of grace was uh, was real, and you know, as we've sort of hammered away and hinted at, uh, this is that's the heart of it. You know, God saved us through His grace, uh, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Chris? Um, yeah, all in this, I just uh, brought out the word anathema in the Greek, w- which we see in different places in the Bible. It's actually what is meant when it says that uh, Christ was made a curse for us, I believe. Am I correct in that? Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all I really had for the rest of that. And I noticed mm-hmm. in my uh, parallel Spanish Bible that it's actually the same word in Spanish. It's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, or it would be pronounced differently. Uh, anathema. Anathema. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to look at that Greek word and that it means uh, that one lies under the curse of God uh, and that he is doomed to destruction and will receive God's wrath and damnation. Um, I, I, it's, it's one of those words that you see, you see popping up here and again. One of the interesting things is that it even popped up. Uh, it was the word that the Roman Catholic Church used and when they would excommunicate somebody, they had an elaborate ceremony called the bell, book, and candle ceremony, and they would pronounce them uh, uh, damned and anathema, which I thought was interesting. Uh, let's see, verse 10. For I am now seeking the approval of man, uh, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Good point, Paul. This this semi-rhetorical question here is interesting. Paul is asking, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Uh, we can see from places later in Galatians, and we've kind of talked about and hinted at here earlier, that some of those who were teaching this idea of a gospel of Jesus plus the law were attacking Paul personally. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, uh, there are places that intimate that Paul was spied out to see if he was indeed circumcised. Uh, and things got so out of hand, and all of this, all of this Judaizing and and, and sort of law keeping, pseudo law keeping, uh, was that it looked as if even Peter got carried away with uh, with with some of these teachers, because Paul remarked he had to withstand Peter to the face. So Paul, go, so Paul goes, uh, Paul does something really interesting here. He asks the reader, "For am I seeking the approval of man or of God?" Intimating that. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of intimating that, like, look at my life. Am I a man pleaser? Am I causing division and strife? I'm, I'm living to please God. Uh, he's telling us that he is not trying to please men; that he's trying to please God and appealing to the life he is leading before the world. So that's, and that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting idea. That you know, uh, he is, he's not. He's not seeking the approval of man. He's seeking the approval of God. And it's going to be something that's so apparent that the Galatian believers, the brothers in Galatia, are going to be able to see this immediately. Chris? Uh, sure. Um, okay, so uh, on this one, I'm just going to quote a, uh, a short paragraph from Martin Luther about this verse. 
where he says, No man can say that we are seeking the favor and praise of men with our doctrine. We teach that all men are naturally depraved. We condemn man's free will, his strength, wisdom, and righteousness. We say that we obtain grace by the free mercy of God alone for Christ's sake. There is this... This is no preaching to please men. This sort of preaching procures for us the hatred and disfavor of the world, persecutions, excommunications, murders, and curses. Um, and this actually concludes uh, a, an interesting section, uh, right around there, of of the book of Galatians. And then Paul gets into talking a little bit more about this, so it's a good time for us to break. Let's break. Sure, and let's, uh, let's pray real quick for everybody that might be listening. Uh, do you want to pray for us? I would love to. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Uh, you've called us. You've literally, you've literally excursed us. You've literally pulled us out of your kingdom, Lord, out of the kingdom of darkness and translated us and transplanted us, literally tore us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom, your kingdom, Lord. Uh, and it is, it is just a great, great place to be, Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, I ask that you open the ears by the power and authority of Jesus Christ, that you chase away Anybody and all spiritual entities or whatever's going on, spirits, that would close the ears of people to hear this teaching of grace, Father, uh, and just open people's ears, uh, give them all ears to hear so that they may hear the gospel of grace, Father. Uh, we just ask your grace and your mercy uh, in continuum and uh, for the rest of the day and even for the rest of our lives, Lord. Uh, just bless all the people that hear this Bible study. And we just uh, praise your name, and we pray all this stuff in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you can hear more verse-by-verse Bible teachings at versebyversebibleteaching.com.